This podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Diana, Texas. If you're in East Texas, you can gather with us on Sundays at 10.15 a.m. You can find more episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on our website, www.fbcdiana.org. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, we will be in Deuteronomy this morning. Let's see. We'll be in chapters 4 and 5. So if you want to kind of go ahead and get there in your pew Bible, it'll be page 139. This morning we will continue our study in Deuteronomy. Uh, So just a few reminders. It wasn't that long ago, uh, but Deuteronomy is the fifth and final book of the Pentateuch or the Torah. And it summarizes the teaching or the law. This book is going to... It's going to summarize the four books before it, and it's going to be the rubric or the standard going forward for what it, for what it will be for Israel uh, throughout the days of the Old Covenant. And, and uh, within it, God will give glimpses of what, it future, uh, what Israel's future history will be. We'll read chapters 4 and 5 today, and in this lengthy section, it starts and ends with the same set of verses which encapsulates the heart of what this whole passage is about. It's the role of God's Word in the life of His people. The sermon last week was over the book of Ephesians. And you'll recall as you were here last week and as you studied it in Life Group this morning, that Ephesians is broken into two parts, the doctrine or the content that we are to believe and then how we are to live. And what you'll see is in this section of Deuteronomy, there's striking similarities. And so hopefully we'll see uh, similar applications this week as, as last week. But one thing I want to ask you uh, before we get started this morning is, what comes to mind when you consider idolatry? What do you think idolatry might look like in Moses' day when this was written? What do you think idolatry may have looked like in the time of Jesus or of Paul? And what about today? What does idolatry look like today? I think about that, and, and as we read our passage and as we go through it, let's see how God has used His Word to, to define what this is and to, and to shape our understanding of it and then to call us out of it. So with that brief introduction, will you please stand with me as we read God's Word? I will tell you that this will take me about ten minutes, uh, and so if at any point... Uh, you, you feel like you need to sit down, please do. This is our tradition. It is not a requirement. So I'll read Deuteronomy chapter 4 all the way through chapter 5. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, Nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what Yahweh did at Baal Peor. For Yahweh your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal Peor. But you who held fast to Yahweh your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you the statutes and rules as Yahweh my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you were entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, 
For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as Yahweh our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before Yahweh, your God at Horeb, Yahweh said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then Yahweh spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And Yahweh commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land you are going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on, that, on the day that Yahweh spoke to you out of, at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that Yahweh, your God, has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But Yahweh has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, Yahweh was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that Yahweh your God is giving you for an inheritance, for I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over the Jordan and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of Yahweh your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that Yahweh your God has forbidden you. For Yahweh, your God, is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of Yahweh, your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will, not, that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. And Yahweh will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where Yahweh will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there, there you will seek Yahweh with your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to Yahweh your God and obey his voice. For Yahweh your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant 
with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the days that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of fire, as you have heard, and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation, by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which Yahweh your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that Yahweh is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, and by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance, as it is this day. Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that Yahweh is God in heaven above and on earth beneath, there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you for all time. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there, anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in times past. He may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bazar in the wilderness of the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt, beyond the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon, whom Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt. And they put, took possession of his land and the land of Og, the king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites, who lived to the east beyond the Jordan, from Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, as far as Mount Sirion, that is, Hermon, together with all the Arabah in, on the east side of the Jordan, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, under the slopes of Pisgah. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, that you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Yahweh, our God, made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our fathers did Yahweh make this covenant, but with us, who are all alive and here today. Yahweh spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between Yahweh and you at that time, to declare to you the word of Yahweh. For you were afraid because of the fire, and did not go up into the mountain. And he said, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath to keep it holy, as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day 
is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall do not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother, as Yahweh your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife and shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These are the words that Yahweh spoke to you, to your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice. And he added, no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, Yahweh our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with men and still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of Yahweh our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and still lived? Go therefore and hear all that Yahweh our God will say and speak to us all that Yahweh our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. And Yahweh heard your words when you spoke to me and Yahweh said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it may go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving you to possess. You should be careful to do as Yahweh your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that Yahweh your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Thank you, God, for your word. You may be seated. Now you're thinking, how on earth does that relate to Ephesians? (laughs) We'll get there. Well, I think the, the, the main point that Moses is making uh, to the people here in this text and the main point that we ought to see is to live is to know and worship God from his word. To, to live, to truly live is to know and worship God from his word. The first point I want to make or see here in this text is that the call to live by faith. The initial generation of Israel was brought with God's mighty hand out of Egypt and yet refused to trust God or take him at his word. Their sin was one of unbelief or idolatry. And that generation was subsequently judged as God refused to make good on his promises to an unbelieving people. 
So what does God do? He raises up the second generation. And as they journeyed toward the land of promise, they saw God provide victory over their enemies as they began, began to take possession of the land east of the Jordan, defeating the kings of Sihon and Og. So here in this passage, and for the rest of the book essentially, they're encamped in the plains of Moab opposite the Jordan. And Moses will begin preaching to them and explaining the law to them and giving them all the instruction that God presented to him on the mountain and then leave them with a decision. In, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, Moses begins to highlight that decision. This decision that will face Israel this day and every day afterwards. Look there at verse 1. O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So Israel is a nation, and it's a group of individuals. And they must choose to either listen to the word of God and respond in faith and obedience, or close their ears and in turn, uh, instead turn to gods of their own making. In the New Covenant, this would be phrased, repent and believe. Right? Will you trust God and his word and respond by repenting, changing from how you understand things and, and believe, uh, uh, trust in the word of God? Will you change your mind concerning what God's will is and then live according to how God has called us to live? Again, this is not a one-time decision, but instead an ongoing repenting and a trusting in God based on his word, both for Israel then and for you and I today. Notice in this verse how life itself and the promised land are contingent upon faith. This is the same faith that we call people to today. God will provide his promises to those who respond to his word in faith and obedience. Now there may be some who read this verse, this passage, or even most of the Old Testament and think, this has nothing to do with faith. This is merely about doing the right thing, living a moral life, and God will bless you. That's what many may kind of summarize the Old Testament as. But recall what faith is. It is believing in, trusting in the Word of God, and then falling in line with it, imperfectly yet faithfully. And this is exactly why the first generation didn't inherit the promised land. They came to the, to the edge of the land, they saw it, and they refused to believe the words of God. And they acted differently than what God had told them. Because they did not trust him. They did not have faith in him. Hebrews 11 highlights this clearly concerning people throughout the Old Testament. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed in Hebrews 4.8. What we see is that Abraham believed the words of God and then responded in obedience. James, in the New Testament, makes the same argument concerning Abraham. And makes the point that, without, that faith without obedience is mere lip service. True faith moves it acts according to what it actually trusts or values. Okay, so why am I making this point? Well, we must understand that the Mosaic Covenant is not a salvation by works, but is instead a call to live by faith, to trust Yahweh at His Word, and to respond with obedience. It is by God's grace that He decided to love the offspring of Abraham. It is by God's grace that they were redeemed from Egypt. 
It is by grace that Israel found itself on the plains of Moab, with God sending his word to them again and again. Right standing with God across all time has always been by grace through faith, based on the promises in the word of God. So as we read these commands, these statutes and these rules, we must understand that this is how God called the people of Israel to live under the Mosaic Covenant, by faith. But these rules don't save. And that's crucial to understanding the Old Testament. In verse 2, we see that it says, You shall not add to the word that I commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your God that I command you. God calls his people to hold the line of Scripture. We don't get to decide that at this time God was right, but at a later time God was wrong. Or at this time God suits my fancy, at a later time he doesn't. God is not a buffet, or his word is not a buffet, where you come and take what you want and leave what you don't like. Instead, God's word is what it is, and we come to it and submit to it, or we are crushed by it. And so, God warns here, do not tamper with his word. Do not add additional rules or burdens to the conscience of God's people, with more than what he has said. Nor should we remove portions of God's word that we don't like, or that don't fit with our modern culture's desires or whims. Moses then provides object lessons highlighting the importance of living by faith. In verse 3, that second generation witnessed Yahweh's judgment. This is incredible. So Israel travels to the promised land. They get to the edge. That first generation rebels against God, so God sends them wandering. That first generation passes. The second generation comes. They have... They win battles against Sihon and Og. And you think, okay, this people, now this people is going to be faithful to God. They're going to do what God says. And what does Moses point to here as a way to remember that we ought to live by faith according to the prescribed word of God? He points to a, something that he calls the Baal of Peor. Now, what is that? You'll find that in Numbers uh, 22 uh, through 25 and then and then later on you you can read that later but i'll just kind of summarize it after israel defeats sihon and og they're passing through and they're coming to the plains of moab balak of moab summons an oracle named balaam and he he wants to hire him to curse israel as they've gathered on these plains before they cross over the river jordan But Balaam is unable to curse Israel and instead can only speak the words that the Lord of hosts gives him to speak. So frustrated, Balaam then urges the Midianite women to seduce the warriors of Israel in order to lead them away from Yahweh in rebellion to God's word and in idolatry. And that's exactly what happens. And so what we see here is this link in the Bible with sexual immorality and idolatry all throughout Scripture. And so since, since Balaam wasn't able to curse God's people, instead he tries to draw them away from, from God, uh, seducing them. And so what does God do? Well, God responds with judgment upon Israel by sending a plague, and 24,000 are killed. And then Moses says in, in verse 4 there, chapter 4, verse 4, that those who held fast to Yahweh are alive today. And so we see a clear uh, example 
listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live. Moses is being quite literal here. Because 24,000 who had just had victories and saw God move on their behalf are now dead because they decided uh, to be unfaithful to Yahweh, uh, to walk in rebellion and idolatry. This phrase, held fast, refers to keeping a covenant with God. And particularly this is used of the marriage covenant in Genesis 2.24 where it says a man will leave his mother and father and he will hold fast to keep the covenant that he has with his wife. We sing that, that song, He Will Hold Me Fast, and it's based on that same idea. It's that God will remain steadfast to saving His people because He has promised to do so. Not because one day He woke up and thought it would be a good idea. Not because that today uh, He feels this way and tomorrow He may, may feel another. No, God will do what He does because He has promised to do it. And so that's where our hope lies, in the Word of God. So Moses shows us here in this example that to trust God in faith is to live, whereas to fall into rebellion and idolatry is to die and to be excluded from the promises of God. So clearly, the 24,000 are not able to go into the promised land. Moses then points to God's glory as a reason to live by faith in verses 5 through 8. And it says there that by following God's word, this will be your wisdom and your understanding. And this is a phrase that is used in Proverbs where we're told things like, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, yet fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or that the fear of the Lord or the fear of Yahweh is the hatred of evil. And so we see that this wisdom and this understanding, this instruction is to see the world and to understand it and to live according to God's word. So by faith, Israel will be a light to the nations around them pointing the nations to the glory of God, the goodness and the righteousness of his word. We see this same logic used by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I think it was in the lines of some of the songs we sang this morning, right? When Jesus speaks of his disciples being the salt and the light of the earth, in Matthew 5 he says, In the same way, let your your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so what is the second reason that Moses kind of puts on the people for why they should live by faith? Well, because it it gives glory to God among the nations. And so just as the Old Testament saints pointed to those around them to God's glory as they live by faith, so do we uh, to the praise of God's glory. The second point I want to look at here in this text is, is the call to be diligent and active in applying God's word. To be diligent and active in applying God's word. In chapter 4, verses 9 through 14, Moses goes on to exhort Israel towards learning and applying God's word. He says in verse 9 there, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Then he says, Gather the people to me that I that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth, and that they may teach their children so. So today is Mother's Day, and all across America, and even here in East Texas, there's going to be plenty of churches that give a topical sermon based on mothers. And um, I do not apologize, but we providentially come to God's Word, and here we, we have a call for parents, for mothers, 
Um, what does God want you to do, moms and dads? Teach your children His Word. Know that God values this unique role and has directed you in this task to teach your children and your grandchildren, to read it to them, to sing songs about it, to pray through it with them, to help them understand it by decisions that you make and pointing them back to God's Word. This is why we don't do that. Or this is where we see we should do this. Apply God's Word in your life in front of them, and they too will learn God's Word and God's ways. And so we, we see here in, this, in this, this diligent task that we're to do that God's Word isn't something that we hear once or once in a while and then go about our lives. But instead, this is a treasure that we're told to diligently spend time with in order to care for our own souls and shepherd those generations that come behind us. We don't learn God's Word so that we can pass Bible quizzes. Uh, We don't learn God's Word because it has fun historical facts or archaeological data. We we don't learn God's Word uh, merely to memorize it and to puff ourselves up. We primarily are to learn God's Word as God says Himself, Yahweh commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and rules that you might do them. That is the primary reason that we learn God's Word, is that we will apply it in our lives. We also see four times throughout this whole text where God refers to the diligent keeping of His Word linked to the command, honor your father and mother. This is what uh, Paul would call the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is another concept that is developed more in the first uh, eight chapters of Proverbs, this idea of of living wisely, uh, of of the teaching of a mother and a father, and and the beckoning of parents. Uh, If you've read Proverbs recently, that's that's what I've been going through with with the girls at the house. But it's it's, uh, Solomon, the king, to his children, beckoning them over and over, oh, please, children, listen to my words. Hear what I've taught you. These will be a graceful wreath uh, upon your head, a a necklace that is so valuable upon your neck, if you would only hear. Uh, And why is it that we we are constantly, that the the psalmist or the the dad is so diligent to, to say this over and over? Well, because the kids in and of themselves don't have a desire for their teaching. Uh, your kids and my kids, they rebel against what we teach them. And so do we with God's words. And so we need to be instructed again and again. We need to be diligent to keep our souls uh, before the Lord. And in particular with uh, Israel here, this promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Uh, we're reminded that Israel will only inhabit the land so long as they remain diligent and faithful to the covenant. So for the next generations to enjoy the land, they must listen to the instruction of their parents from God's word and respond in faith. Uh, the same is true for the new covenant believers today. We will only enjoy the promises of God by faith, and true faith is evidenced in obedience. John 3.33 in the whole book of First John. So moms and dads, disciple your children unto the Lord and pray for them diligently. The next point I see Moses making in this text and and that applies directly to us is that we should worship God alone. 
Moses, having started with the call to believe and trust in God's word and to live by faith, and having continued by exhorting Israel to diligently learn, teach, and apply God's word, he now moves to the object of our faith and worship, God himself. In verse 15 it says, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that Yahweh spoke to you at Horeb, or Mount Sinai, out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself. As we read through the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, recall God introduces himself as Yahweh, the one who brought Israel out of slavery, and then immediately goes into the words or requirements of the covenant relationship. And so just kind of to, to summarize that, Israel is to have no God but Yahweh. They are not to fashion anything else and call it a God. They are not to make false oaths with Yahweh's name or misrepresent him to the nations. Israel is to keep the oath sign of the Mosaic Covenant, the weekly Sabbath. Finally, Israel is to live according to the character and nature of Yahweh as they interact with one another, foreigners among them and the nations around them. This then summarizes the worship that God requires from his people. These are specific ways in which God's people are to live by faith according to his word in honor of him or in worship to him. So I ask at the opening, what comes to mind when you consider the idea of idolatry? Idolatry in Moses' day, in Jesus and Paul's day, and in our own day. We see from the passage that what what seemingly is so common in the day of Moses was people literally fashioning uh, objects of worship out of stone or wood or, or looking up to the sky above and worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars or looking down into the earth and worshiping uh, some other form of, of creature. Idolatry generally is the, is the rejection of the God of the Bible, the God of creation, and then replacing the true God with something else, a created thing. Uh, whether it be a statue, an animal, stars, planets, uh, or an idea. However, idolatry does not stop there. Uh, The heart of idolatry is not just an image or an object, but it is a system of worship towards the false god. So idolatry will point to some deity, some concept, some image, some idea, but then idolatry will will be practiced or or the idol will be worshipped by doing what the so-called idol calls its subjects to do. So when we consider the judgment that fell upon Israel when they worshipped the pagan Baal of Peor, how they were led in worship by the Midianite women seducing them, this link between sexual immorality and idolatry that's consistent from the days of Moses to Jesus and Paul to our own modern day, in, in Paul's day, you know, as, as he went into, uh, it may have been Ephesus, uh, the world was turned upside down because the silversmiths got mad at him. Because the trinkets that they were selling to represent the, the, the idols of that town weren't being sold anymore as more and more people converted and were saved by God. And so they stopped buying the trinkets and then, you know, the silversmiths got mad at them. In our day, at least here in America or in the Western, Western world, uh, it, it's not as common uh, to, to have fashioned images or idols uh, that we worship per se. Uh, it may be that we, we uh, worship uh, personas or, or people. We worship ideas. 
uh, that we're very vain and we worship ourselves and we, we show that out or flesh that out in various ways. But Paul particularly deals with this in 1 Corinthians 10. And in 1 Corinthians 10, he's reminding Christians in the New Covenant to look back to this time in the Old Testament and to, to look at the example that was lived out in those days where, Egypt, where, where Israel was brought out of Egypt. And he shows over and over again ways that Israel fell into idolatry. And then Paul tells the Corinthian church, flee from idolatry. Because idolatry was live and well in the culture of that day. And it is in this day as well. The idolatry that Paul runs into uh, throughout the Greco-Roman world is not much different than the Midianite seduction that happened in Israel in, in Moses' day. And it's not a lot different than the idolatry that happens today. So Paul's emphatic instruction uh, concerning fleeing from idolatry and how we live, he kind of wraps it up in 1 Corinthians 10.31. And so he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Which leaves many of us to scratch our head and go, what? What does that have to do with idolatry? Well, what is Paul calling us to? Worship of the true God based on God's word, right? And so he's telling us that we can do all things in our life to the glory of God, to genuinely live as those who worship God and even the, the mundane and the, and the ordinary. So how can, we, how can we live according to God's will and thereby worship God? Well, the question is, how can we know God's will? Well, we learn it from his word. In our culture today, we may not have images or statues that are as common as in times past, but idolatry is alive and well today as it ever has been. Uh, consider Romans 1. In the second half of Romans chapter 1, Paul kind of lays condemnation to all of humanity. And he, he, he says, and I'll just summarize, that everyone, everyone understands that there is a God by merely observing creation. Yet humanity suppresses the obvious and sets up for itself other deities. God's judgment is to give them over in their sin. So humanity then reflects the values and morals of their new deities, worshiping them in sexual immorality and impurity, to which God's judgment is to give them over further and further into their idolatry, such that they have debased minds. They're filled with evil, malice, coveting, envy, strife, God-haters, and it continues. So what do, we, what do we see here? Generally speaking, we either worship the God of the Bible or we create a deity and what we do is we cast our own desires as the desires of that deity and then we do what they say, i.e. what our sinful heart really desires and, there, and thereby show who we truly worship. So how does God's word in Deuteronomy instruct us concerning idolatry? Well, Moses provides six ways to implore God's people to live by faith and hold fast to the God who saves. First, we are encouraged to remember that God's people are God's inheritance. God is our great treasure and prized possession. Therefore, cling to him, for he is our life. Deuteronomy 4.20, God, uh, Moses tells the people of Israel, 
that they, Israel, are God's inheritance. We see the exact same thing said in Ephesians 1.18, that we, the people of God, are God's inheritance. Therefore, as those that God has chosen for his own possession, let us honor and worship him. The second way that, that we're pointed to living by faith, to fleeing idolatry, Moses reminds Israel that he, the one whom God used to lead them from Egypt, the one who met with God on the mountain for 40 days, the one who has been their mediator and king-like figure, that even Moses will not be able to enter the promised land due to his own disobedience to God's word. And so you have this, this kind of argument of the greater to the lesser. If Moses, Moses, you know, the guy of the Old Testament, if he can't go in and experience the rest, the promised land that God is providing, this blessing that he has promised, if he can't do that, then how will you, if he has committed sin against God, how will you experience God's blessing? And so it's a call that God does not show partiality. O oh Israel, O oh God's people, will you be faithful? The third, Moses reminds Israel that they came out of the iron furnace of slavery in Egypt in 420. But that God is the real and true consuming fire, and he is to be feared. Therefore, keep the covenant, live by faith. Why? Because the faithless will be consumed. The fourth way that Moses implores them, he says, Israel is warned that all of creation... Heaven and earth will be called as witnesses against them if they reject Yahweh and turn to pagan worship. In this section of, of Deuteronomy at the uh, 425 through the uh, 31 there, it's, it's kind of like your bulletin. It's a, uh, what we would call an order of service. God is kind of providing a, here's what the future history of, of Israel is going to be. Here's the cyclical nature. Um, you're going to, you're going to go to the promised land. You're going to have blessing. You're going to forget me. You're going to rebel against me. There's going to be judgments that come. You're going to turn back to me. I'm going to forgive you. You're going to live faithfully for five minutes, and then you're going to turn, and you're going to rebel again. But eventually, you're going to be exiled. And so he reminds them that, that creation itself will witness against them if they are not faithful. The fifth thing that Moses points to is God's own faithfulness and tenderness. So even in the midst of, of the future rebellion that Israel will have, in 429 it says, From there, from exile, you will seek Yahweh, your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, You will return to Yahweh your God and obey his voice. For Yahweh your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. But how will a rebellious, idolatrous people who have been exiled, they're off in a foreign land, they're worshiping foreign gods, how will they turn with all their heart and soul and seek God? How's that going to happen? Well, how does that happen now? Uh, This is the thread of grace that is woven throughout the Bible. Uh, We see it here. But God will move on your behalf because of the love that he has. 
And He will do for you what you cannot do. He will change your heart and make a way that you can return to Him. And so, like the people of the Old Testament, we don't need new or better laws. The Old Testament shows in gory detail that in and of ourselves, humanity is completely unable to love God and worship Him as we should. We don't need different laws. We don't need a special place. We don't need different times or politicians. We need a Savior. And God has provided one who has lived in perfect faith and worship and died under the debt of sin that His people owe so that we could obtain the righteousness of God through faith. And God in the person and work of Christ in the new covenant takes out our dead heart of stone and makes us alive together with Christ so that we too learn to will and to do according to God's good pleasure by renewing our minds with God's word and learning what his will is so that we offer our lives in worship to him, to the praise of God's glory. The sixth and final exhortation that Moses gives Israel towards true worship is, is in, what a, in a text that seems completely out of place. As we read through, we're going through, you know, Moses continually saying, listen and do, listen and do. Oh, Israel, listen and do. And then he says, oh yeah, by the way, there's these three cities of refuge. What does that have to do with exhorting God's people away from idolatry? I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> These cities of refuge or cities of safety are set apart for those involved in the death of another. Uh, If maliciously, then a court will hear and decide and execute judgment. But if by accident, the person must stay there according to the specific rules that govern Israel. And you can go and read those. But the implicit warning here is that like Abel's blood cried out to God, God has prescribed a justice system and a particular way human life will be preserved in the promised land. If Israel refuses to uphold the value of human life, if Israel refuses justice, then the land will be defiled by the blood of man and God will no longer be present dwelling with them. So Israel is reminded that the land is holy, not because of the dirt, not because of the geographic location, uh, not because of the plants that are growing there, but instead because it is where God has chosen to dwell with his people. And if God departs from them, then the land will no longer be holy, set apart for God. So this is a framework that kind of dominates all of Deuteronomy. The land itself is a gift, but it will only be Israel's by faith, exhibited in true worship to Yahweh, according to his word. And so, with, with these six things, uh, he, hear me today, let us not fall into idolatry. Let us remember this grace that God has shown in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and believe. Finally, let's see how Moses calls Israel to remember the fear of the Lord. Moses reminds this second generation that when God spoke from the mountain at Sinai to deliver His word, that the people themselves were utterly terrified. They were reminded that, yes, indeed, God has spoken to man and they lived. And their response at that time was to compel Moses to act as a mediator between them and God. For Moses to go up to the mountain and to get the rest of the statutes and the rules and the commands 
And the people at that time said, Moses, you go near and hear what Yahweh our God will say and speak to us all that Yahweh our God will speak to you and we'll listen and hear and do it. And God says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it may go well with them and that they're and with their descendants forever. This could also be translated, Oh, who would give them a heart such as this always? Israel's response was appropriate, and God looked forward to a day when His people really would have hearts that feared and revered Him in faithful obedience. We're reminded that this wasn't the only time that that God gathered His people at a mountain in order to deliver them His words. We do see Jesus do this very same thing at the Sermon on the Mount. Yet in the New Covenant, we do benefit from God making us into what He calls us, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Yet we, like Israel, are called to live carefully according to God's Word. In 5.32 and 33, the bookends, 4.1 and 4.2, 5.32 and 33, They say the same thing. You shall be careful to do as Yahweh your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall not add to or take away from God's commands. You shall walk in all the way that Yahweh your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. God help us to live by faith, Diligently applying God's word, worshiping God alone, and remembering to fear God as we live our days under the sun. May God give us a heart like this that we would worship him. Will you go with me in prayer? We trust that this message edified the listener and glorified the God who shows love and mercy to sinners in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his son. Would you take a moment to leave a positive rating for us on your podcast app? You'll be helping others find this episode and more like it. If you'd like more information about First Baptist Diana, then please visit our website, www.fbcdiana.org.